Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Yeah, so it's true. Trinity Sunday is sometimes called the preacher's nightmare. It's a minefield of potential wrong teaching. And yeah, it's true that many preachers often, uh, I've noticed, will, will take this opportunity to preach, uh, or, or actually to, to give you a lecture, not a sermon, right? It's not going to rouse you, but maybe you'll learn a thing or two. Um, I, was, I was kind of conflicted on how to, how to approach this, this sermon, and so I, I was texting a few of my priest mentors the last few weeks. Um, one texted back two words, simply, good luck. And the other said, uh, yes, the old give the youth pastor Trinity Sunday trick. <laughs> the Trinity is, is true, can be complicated. There's substances, persons, three, and yet one. Um, and as I was kind of working out what I was going to say, I was, was kind of complaining to one of my mentors um, that this is the only Sunday on the calendar that's dedicated to a doctrine that's and not an event, right? So usually we, we, we hear about Jesus doing something, and, and it's easy to kind of you know, preach on that because he's doing something. And this is just sort of static, I was saying. You know, this is just a doctrine. And he, he interrupted me and he said, aren't you wrong about that? He said, no, the, 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 the Trinity is, is the culmination of all of the Christian life. The Trinity is the gospel. The doctrine of the Trinity forms the beginning, middle, and end of the Christian life. So if we understand the Trinity, we're getting closer to the Father and we're being filled with the Spirit. And we're looking beside us and we're seeing Jesus, the Son. The Trinity is an event. It is the event. And so to, to show you what I'm, I'm trying to talk about, I actually want to focus on two of the readings from today, the, the Genesis reading and the Matthew reading. Um, and, 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 and a little caveat before I, I dive in. Uh, the Trinity is, is properly called a mystery. You're not supposed to figure it out and then be like, oh, I got it. Right? It's, it's, it's a reality that is ever um, deepening in the life of the Christian. It's something that you live into your whole life. Um, so my language is going to fall a little bit short, uh, and, and that's, that's to be expected. This is how the church has learned to talk about God, and language is always going to be a little bit short of perfection there. So with all humility and sincere prayer that I don't stumble into a heresy today, I hope to show you three things about the Trinity. Three things. First, the Trinity shows us that God is love. God is love. Second, the Trinity shows us that, uh, how God saves us. And third, the Trinity shows us our mission. So a three-point sermon for three-person God, love, salvation, and mission. So let's start with love. I often hear people saying that a lot now, even, even non-religious people, God is love. And usually they're, they're trying to downplay some important part of Scripture, right? right? How can you say that this is wrong if, if God is love, right? How can Christians claim to be the only true religion if God is love? Um, but that's not what John the Apostle is talking about when he says those words for the first time. In 1 John 4, he says God is love. And when St. John says that, he's not talking about a tolerant, permissive God who's unconcerned with human behavior. He's talking about the Trinity. God is love because within God, there are three distinct and yet unified persons who have always been and, have, and always will be. And you see this if you look at the Genesis reading today. If you look closely, you will find a God who is both singular and plural. We see clearly that there's one God, 
right? Not a pantheon of gods like in the pagan creation myths, but God is also a we. In verse 26, we, we see that God says, us, let us create man in our image. And this is not just in Genesis, right? This is not like a typo that somebody wrote wrong, right? This is also in Isaiah 6. God refers to himself as, as a, uh, uh, in, in, in the plural. And it's, it's kind of a, a, a tension, right? Because the rest of scripture also makes it very clear that there's only one God. This is the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. So th- there's a tension there. There's a tension that doesn't make perfect sense until the fullness of Christ is revealed, right? But you can still see glimpses of the Trinity, even on the first page of the Bible. If you look at verse 1, God creates through his spoken word, and his spirit hovers above the water. So we have creator, word, and spirit right there. So God is singular, but he's also a community. Most importantly, God is a generous community. He is ready to share his creation and, and give away his power. Our Genesis passage also makes a connection to the way God is, to the way humans are. Verse 27 says we are made in his image. So this means that that within the love that we see in humans, between spouses, between parents and their children, there's an echo of God's love that he is within himself. God's love is creative. It generates, it's, it's outgoing, it reaches out. And our love, when it's functioning right, is like the love of the Trinity. It's, it's productive. It doesn't stay within itself. Take, for instance, in a marriage, a man and a woman's love overflows and is fruitful. Verse 28, right? And this is a great mystery that, that is really deserving of its own sermon. I've really been thinking about this as I spend endless hours staring at my newborn son. Because when you look at a new baby, it's impossible to tell where one parent begins and the other parent you know, starts, right? It, it, it's like, no, I think I have, I think, I, I think he has your eyes. No, he has my eyes. No, I think he has your ears. No, I think they're my eyes, right? And you can get into these kind of back and forth, right? There's a singularity and a plurality. And everyone is the product of two people who at, lo- at one point loved each other. And there's something about that that's Trinitarian, right? It's no mistake that two of the three persons of the Trinity are parental, right? the father and the son. One Anglican writer points out that parental love is a really good example of what sort of love God has for humanity. Because parental love is desperate. It's outgoing. My, my son is just three months old, and I'm just being introduced to this. Parental love is the most unconditional love. Love of parents for their children is fierce. It's protective. When your child's in danger, you'll do anything to relieve them. Even more so when your own child puts themselves in danger, whether it's through addiction or mental health issues or not living up to their potential. Love doesn't stop. In my years as a teacher and now as a youth pastor, I've seen this play out over and over again. Parents will buy any plane ticket, seek out any specialist, go through any amount of pain for anyone or uh, uh, in situations that anyone else would think are hopeless. And in like fashion, our Heavenly Father sent his Son. He spared no cost. And that's why the Trinity is not just an interesting fact about God. It's only the Christians who can say that God is love, a communion of three in one, a loving God, a committed God who spares nothing. 
Yet despite this eternal love, we know how the story ends in Genesis with betrayal, disobedience, and ultimately death. But that's a really good segue into the second point. Because the Trinity also shows us how we are saved by God. God is love. God is like um, one of those Newton's cradles. Have you seen those? Where they, they, they always have motion going back and forth. And, and all you have to do is just get it started. And it just keeps going, right? Um, God is like that sort of perpetual motion of love. And salvation is entering into that kind of love. In our gospel today, Jesus gives instructions on how to do this. There's two steps. Verse 19, first you baptize. And second, verse 20, you teach. Did you know that, that when, you, when you were baptized, you weren't baptized by a minister or a congregation. You were baptized by God. When you went under the water, your old self died. And when you came out, your new life began. That's Colossians 2. You're a, a new person, an adopted son or daughter by means of your baptism. Baptism is, is a death, it's a funeral of your old self, and it's an adoption ceremony into your new family. And as members of a new family, we get to eat at the Lord's table, the Father's table, every, every Sunday. We have a new life now. John, uh, in his gospel, has Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So baptism gives us spirit. It gives us the Spirit. Notice all of this language about baptism is Trinitarian. In our reading today, we're baptized into the name of the Trinity. You're adopted by your heavenly father, put to death with the son, brought to new life and given a new breath, new spirit, right? But it's not just an adoption. Baptism is also a unification. Through your baptism, you are united to Christ forever. So really salvation is living inside of the Trinity. And there's a, there's a fancy word for this. Uh, some theologians will call this mutual indwelling. It's very fancy. Millennials, if you uh, are still living with your parents, you can, you can bring this up. You can say, Mom, I'm not mooching. I'm mutually indwelling. <laughs> right? um, but ba- basically, it just means what, what, G- what Jesus is talking about in John 14. He says, The words I say, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The three persons of the Trinity are one. They live in a perfect unity. And through baptism, you are brought into that. Or as Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You are inside the love of God. But that's just step one. That's just step one. Step two is teach. Jesus goes on to say in verse 20, not just to baptize, but to teach, to observe all that I have commanded you. It, it echoes what Jesus says in John 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Baptism turns you into a child of God. And observing the things that God has commanded you is like learning the family tradition. It reminds me of a story of another mentor I had in college. Um, I went to school for music, so my my voice teacher was this guy named Clifton Forbes. And he's a very famous opera singer. He tours in Germany and Italy, and he's like, you know, very well sought after, sings in all these different languages, but he is like the most country down-to-earth guy. Like, he'll show up to voice lessons with dirty cowboy boots. 
Um, and he's just very, very direct. Uh, and he always has these little bits of wisdom that he would share with his students. Um, choir parents will un- understand that singers are very anxious, cautious people, right? We, we're very like worried about getting sick or like eating the wrong thing. Um, and so we would always ask him, you know, Cliff, Cliff, what, what am I allowed to eat? Like, can I drink this kind of tea? Like, before I'm singing, can I eat cheese? And he would, he would look back and he would say, if you treat yourself delicate, you will become delicate. <laughs> and I, I love that. It's, it's very simple, right? And, and I think that applies here, right? If, if we act like Jesus, if we obey what God has given us in his word, we live up to the gift that baptism is. Remember, though, that this is all still within God, right? God who is love. We don't do it on our own strength. We live within the Trinity. So we also have the spirit to help us, to enable us. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send my spirit to comfort you and to lead you into all truth. We are pulled up into God, by God, through God, right? So when we're praying the Our Father, we we look next to us and we see the Son praying with us. That's how the Trinity saves us. So finally, the Trinity is about mission. I hope what I've said is, is, is exciting to you. Because it, it's exciting to me. What, what we do here, week in and week out, isn't boring. It's not just a mundane task we have to do. It's, it's an adventure that God is calling you into. Our passage today ends with Jesus giving a task to his disciples. And this echoes the, the commission that God gave in Genesis, right? Uh, he shares his creation with Adam and Eve. God is love. He's eager to share his mission, and to, and to create more companions and co-labor with these companions. In verse 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. What is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the fact that he's just been raised from the dead, right? So, so all of this is right after the resurrection. And the authority in verse 18 comes from the fact that he has just defeated death. As a result of the Father sending him, into the world of sinful humans, Jesus has come out in victory. And now he invites the disciples into that mission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. It is God's will that the final act of salvation is taken on by us. God, in his wisdom, left behind a community on earth indwelt by his Spirit. And this isn't plan B, right? This is the best way, Jesus says. John 16 says, it is to your advantage that I go away. The mission of the church is not just to understand the mystery of God or to experience them ourselves in word and sacrament, although we do that, we want to understand God, we want to experience him, but it's also to expand the love, to be fruitful and multiply his blessings. That's why I I think, I don't have a source on this, I think the church year is divided the way it is. We have the part where all the stuff happens, right? Do you, know, do you ever notice that? Like in December, it's like, oh, there's Advent and Christmas and Epiphany and there's Lent and Easter and all this stuff happens and there's vestments changing and feast days. And then we just have like 20 weeks of nothing. It's like ordinary time. And there's like, what, why does everything just go away? Well, it's because that's, that's the gospel. God becomes man. He reveals himself to us. He dies for our sins. And then the rest is about us. It's about the church expanding the kingdom So what does that actually look like? Well, it looks like Redemption Frisco. It looks like Redemption Frisco because what what did we just do here? Like a month ago, we we baptized people. 
We're going to baptize that kid in a few weeks. We discipline people with the word of God. We, we bring them into all truth. I, I've witnessed this. There are, there's like a bunch of people here who have really difficult jobs and spend time in the morning and the evenings studying the word of God. We gather every Sunday to celebrate the Lord's Supper and enjoy him in the sacraments. We gather in our homes throughout the week. I, I've heard amazing stories about the small groups who are forming here. We visit each other when we're sick or in need. Misty and I had a train of people who were basically strangers bringing us food while we were, you know, with a newborn. This is part of the mission, going out, being sent, as Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. If there's one thing to take away from Trinity Sunday, it's that nothing we do takes place outside of God. Each Christian abides in the Trinity. And so Jesus can say, as he's ascending away, it's kind of a weird thing, right? He's ascending away and saying, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with us. He's with us in his word, in his sacraments. We get to fill up on God here every Sunday and then go out into the world for the sake of it. But here's, here's the real kicker. When we're out on this mission and we're, being, we're making disciples of all nations, who do we find in the world but Christ himself? Jesus sends the disciples out, assuring them, I'm with you. But also remember, all authority is been, has been given to me. Everything out there is mine. When we leave here and we go on our mission, we find the lost sheep because the shepherd already has claimed them. And I don't usually read full quotes, but I just have to. This is too good. This is a, an, Anglican bishop, uh, uh, an Anglican bishop preaching a sermon about 100 years ago. And he's, the whole sermon's about Christ and the sacraments. He says, you've got Christ in the Eucharist, but now go out into the highways and hedges where not even the bishops will hinder you. <laughs> go out and look for Jesus in the ragged, in the naked, in those who have lost hope, in those who are struggling to make good. Look for Jesus, and when you see him, gird yourself with his towel and wash his feet. We are called out by the God who is love, into his love, into doing what God has always been doing, loving, saving, and going on mission to seek the lost. Amen.